Whatever circumstances this last week has been, that Jesus is our rock and he's our foundation. God, thank you for the, the power through the cross that forgives us and the resurrection that gives us uh, power to live and to honor you and glorify you. God, show us yourself today as we worship you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're excited today to get to celebrate baptism with Lanisha and... Um, that's super, super exciting. So that'll be right after our service. We're going to have a picnic as well at Overton Park. For those who are able to make it, we'll be over by the soldier statue. And so grab some food and come out and join us. We're going to go ahead. There's a lot of other stuff that's, uh, that's happening. Um, you're going to hear about some of it in our service. One thing I will mention is that the Saturate event is uh, happening this Saturday. Jeff Vanderstel and Jeff Schulte will be here. They'll be teaching on emotional health and gospel fluency. Um, it'll really impact your heart. I can promise you that if you haven't had a chance to sign up and you want to attend, you need to do that this week, early in the week, so that we get a lunch count. And uh, we're excited about that event. If you get on our homepage and scroll down to the bottom, you'll see information where you can register for that event. So if you would, go ahead and stand with us. We're going to start our worship service through song. All right. If you would look at the screen, you're welcome to read it along with me. We're going to read Psalm 31 together as a call to worship. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Because you have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy, you have set my feet in a broad place. If you would bow your heads with me for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day today. We're thankful for the things you've given us not the earthly material things, but the mercy and love and grace that you provided for us, renewing each day. God, we love you. We come to you with this time of confession, just giving to you our life each and every day. You know the things that we struggle with, God, and we bring them to you. In your name I pray, amen. If you would look to the screens with me at Psalm 103, 8 through 12. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I've been reading a book uh, that I've been reading for a long time, just a chapter every month, called, uh, um, called Getting Your Life Back by John Eldridge. And one of the chapters talks about God's unceasing graces being like a fountain overflowing from one thing to another. And it's, it's an image of God's love overflowing into us, but then overflowing into others. 
So I'd ask that we walk in, in that together, overflowing our love to others and uh, reaching out to friends and people that we know that may not be followers and taking that action that God calls us to. If kids, you would be dismissed. It's now time for the kids' story. Not the video, but Caitlin's going to come and talk for a second. Good morning. Um, I'm really excited to be here again and really excited to say that today is the day. It is camp day number one for our kindergarten through fifth graders. Um, just wanted to share more of our heart and kind of the mission behind what we're doing. I know sometimes if you don't have kiddos that age, like you might not know what's going on. And we just want to make sure everyone knows what's going on and everyone has a part in it. Um, whether you're praying for us behind the scenes or you're serving. And so we just wanted to give you a little update on that. So we have 25 kindergarten through fifth graders coming. And so it will be Mercy Hill kiddos and then also some kiddos from All Saints. And then a couple kids that are friends of kids so that we don't, you know, we don't know if they attend church anywhere um, with a church family or not. So we're really excited about that group of kiddos. And then we also Hello. Okay. We also, which is probably one of the, my favorite parts of it, is that our youth, so we have 25 kids coming, and we have like 23 youth that are volunteering. So we have spent the last month in this discipleship phase. So, you know, my husband, Jared, is the youth in interim currently. And so we have spent the last month or so walking through teaching our youth how to teach and how to serve. So it was really important to us that our youth are serving our kiddos and that what we talk about, the gospel, and um, that they know that. We talk about that a lot in the youth, that they will be able to share that with our kiddos. And so there are adult volunteers, so Alex and David and the stewards, and those of us that work with the youth will be there, but then our youth will be leading our kids. So they'll be our crew leaders. They'll be taking them from station to station. We'll have snack and craft, and then we'll have games, and we'll have the story. Um, Cadence and Cece this week are, are literally teaching our kids about creation, so they, they will be the storytellers, which is awesome, and um, they're leading it, and so I just really want you guys to pray. I want you guys to pray that the Lord would move and work in big ways. Um, I shared an article with our, I mean, our kid volunteers years ago that talks about how the kids ministry is the largest unreached people group of a church, typically with the most number of unbelievers. And so what we're doing is important and it's, um, it's big. And so we're excited about this opportunity. We're also, the theme is the gospel, all people, all places. So I think um, what is also a great opportunity is that our kids are going to hear about a ministry in Guatemala called Deep Stream Ministries. And they have education initiatives where they run a school and um, they have lots of kids that come through. Um, the Lewises and the Nasons and lots of families have been there. And what we're going to get to do is we're going to raise $350. And while that seems like a large chunk of money, that pays for one of their students to get to finish her school year. So her sponsor had to kind of quit mid-year. And so we're going to pick up that sponsorship and we're going to send her to school for the rest of the year. And Please know, and I was very clear with Mark, the director of Deep Stream, about this. There will be zero 
us and them talk out of our mouth. Like we are in partnership and in the same way that every day we surrender and need the gospel in our lives, we believe the same, uh, the students in Guatemala. And we are, it is the gospel for all, all people, all places. And so we just want to be, we just want to speak about their ministry in a very dignifying way and just really um, give our kids exposure to something they may be never seen before. Um, so keep your ears open. It, we will raise money and um, Jordan Vest even asked like, what if our kids aren't coming? Can we still donate? Sure. Yeah, see me. I would love, I would love that. We also are going to pie Brad in the face in December if we reach our goal. So we definitely want to reach our goal so we can pie him in the face multiple times, um, which would be really fun. So just wanted to give you all a heads up. Wanted you guys to know how can you pray for us? Um, we'll be September 12th, October 3rd, November 14th, and December 5th um, through this fall semester. So thanks for supporting us and thanks for um, constantly hearing about it and seeing about it. So kiddos, if you will turn your attention to the screens, the kids Bible story will be up and then I'm going to come up and pray for us. Jesus's friends were arguing. Who was the most important helper in God's kingdom? They wanted to know. I am, James said. No, you're not, said Peter. I am. Nonsense, Matthew said. I'm the cleverest. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, no, I am. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. This silliness went on and on like that for some time. You see, Jesus' friends had started thinking they had to do something to make themselves special to Jesus, that if they were the cleverest or the nicest or something, Jesus would like them best. But they had forgotten something, something God had been teaching his people all through the years, that no matter how clever you are, or how good you are, or how rich you are, or how nice you are, or how important you are, none of it makes any difference. Because God's love is a gift. And as anyone will tell you, the whole thing about a gift is it's free. All you have to do is reach out your hands and take it. So while Jesus' friends were arguing, some people who knew all about getting gifts, in fact, you might say they were gift experts, had come to see Jesus. Who were they? <laughs> they were little children. Jesus' helpers tried to send them away. Jesus doesn't have time for you, they said. He's too tired. But they were wrong. Jesus always had time for children. Don't ever send them away, Jesus said. Bring the little ones to me. Now, if you had been there, what do you think? Would you have had to line up quietly to see Jesus? Do you think Jesus would have asked you how good you'd been before he'd give you a hug? Would you have had to be on your best behavior and get dressed up and not speak until you're spoken to? Or... Would you have done just what these children did? Run straight up to Jesus and let him pick you up in his arms and swing you and kiss you and hug you and then sit you on his lap and listen to your stories and your chats. You see, children loved Jesus and they knew they didn't need to do anything special for Jesus to love them. All they needed to do was to run into his arms and so that's just what they did. Well, after all the laughing and games, 
Jesus turned to his helpers and said, No matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart, full of trust in God. Be like these children. They are the most important in my kingdom. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we can come to you um, broken. We can come to you hurt. We can come to you sad and lonely. We can come to you glad and excited and hopeful. Jesus, thank you for accepting us just the way we are. Father, I do pray for camp. I pray that lives would be changed, that kids, that youth, that parents, that people would come to know you, that they would come to walk in relationship with you. I pray that you would um, be near. I pray that you would calm the nerves of the youth as they step up and as they serve. I pray that you would just um, speak through your people and that your name would be known as we gather together. God, I also just I want to start right here in Mercy Hill and in our church and just pray, God, for just hopeful anticipation of what you're going to do in the future. And I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know um, what that means, but I just know, Lord, that you will continue to work. You'll continue to draw people near you. You'll continue to bring people in to our church family. And I just pray, God, that we would um, be ready, that we would always be ready to be able to speak about you and your ways. Then I go a little bigger, and I pray for our city, and I just pray for Memphis pray, God, that, um, that you would continue to build unity, that you would continue to um, bring a healthy level of challenge and love, um, and God, that you would just bring unity among people, um, no matter their zip code, Lord. I pray that we would be able to just, as churches and just as believers, be able to walk in a way that is just showing your light and your love to a city, Lord. And I pray for our state. I pray for our leaders. There's a lot of division. Um, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of decisions to be made. There's a lot of hurt and anger and just a lot of situations in schools and God and just government and leadership in general. And I just do pray for those leaders, whether we agree or disagree with them, that you would be near, that you would be ultimately in control. And Lord, I just go a little bigger and I pray for our country, um, a place that God just yesterday recognized 20 years of really hard of a event that Lord affected all of our lives. And God, we don't want to just brush past it, but also recognize that you are still good in the midst of hurting. So God, I just do pray for our country. I pray for, again, our leadership and I pray for our president, our vice president and Lord, just all the, all the leaders you have appointed. And I just pray God that we would be able to um, trust you, even sometimes when um, the world feels really hard. Um, I just pray that we could trust you. And, and finally, Lord, our world, you created it. We're going to learn about that tonight, God. We're going to learn how you created it. You created the stars and the moon and the sun and the trees. You created it all. And God, you still sustain it. You have not left us or forsaken us. You are right here with us. And so the same creator that made this world is with us today. And so God, I pray that we would hold tight to that when the world feels crazy. So thank you for being God and thank you for being just the creator and for accepting us as we are. Amen.
Mercy Hill, good morning. Thanks, guys. <laughs> you know, you never know what response you're going to get when you say good morning. Sometimes it's a good response. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church, and, and it's always a privilege to be up here um, preaching, and uh, I love it, and so I want to thank you. Uh, we're moving through the sermon series in the book of Philippians, so I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I want you to think for a moment, um, if you can do two things at once, hopefully you can. I want you to think back to the most difficult time in your life. Maybe it was uh, a brief moment, maybe it was a season just think back to the, to the most difficult season or time in your life that you've experienced. Maybe for some of you, you've autom- immediately thought of something and, and maybe it was a loss. Maybe it was a loss of a, of a loved one, a loss of, of a job, a loss of a, of a marriage, um, something maybe physical that, that had just, just broke you. Maybe there was a, a sense of a, a spiritual uh, emptiness or darkness and, and that season was just the toughest that you've ever experienced. Or, or maybe for you there was this sense of, of darkness and depression and your emotions were, 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 were so low that there, you, there, there was hopelessness. Uh, maybe for you it was a time of addiction where, where you couldn't break whatever it was that you were addicted to. There was no freedom from it. It just had a control over you and that season was, was just so hard. Or maybe right now you're experiencing the most difficult time of your life. 2020-2021 has been difficult for all of us, and so maybe the circumstances in your life have just stacked on top of each other to where right now you're sitting and you're saying, Chris, this is the most difficult season I've ever experienced. And that's okay. The reality is, is that every single one of us either have experienced, are experiencing, or are going to experience difficult struggles and times of difficulty. Every single one of us, it's not a, it's not a if, it's a when. This morning, I want to bring comfort to you this morning from within the midst of difficulty. Using Paul's words to the church in Philippi, I want to bring some comfort to all of us. I want to bring comfort that, and what I mean by comfort, I don't want to make you feel better. I don't want to, 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 to make you feel more comfortable. I don't want to make you feel, um, maybe change your perspective on your circumstances because, and, and, and leave here with a positive mindset, because I don't want to do that either. But what I do want to comfort you with is something that will have a lasting effect. Something that can sustain you through the difficulty, that can endure through the difficulty. I'm talking about a, a, a comfort that is hope-filled. A comfort that is, that is confident in truth. Confident in who God is. A, a, a comfort that is rooted in Jesus and is from Jesus. This is the type of comfort and confidence that Paul writes these words with. As we know, if you've been here, you know that Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. His circumstances are not good, but yet he writes things like, I will rejoice. 
He writes things where your joy will be increased. Because he is comforted by some truths this morning or in his text. And for us, we will be comforted by these same truths this morning. I've entitled this sermon, Comfort in the Midst of Difficulty. And for us, I have three main uh, points, main comforts. And let me say before we dig in, after I wrote my sermon out and looked at it, I thought, wow, these are a bunch of Christian magnets. These are a bunch of Christian bumper stickers. And I'm okay with that. Because some of us just need to be reminded of the truth. In fact, all of us need to be reminded of the truth. And, and so I, I say that at the beginning because I want you to, to move past the, the, the normalcy. Move past, okay, I got that. We can move on. I've heard that before. I want, you to, I want to dig down a little bit within you. And I want you to, to examine your life as we throw some magnets up on the fridge. Okay? So our first, let me, let's read Philippians 1. Verses 18 or verse 19 through 26. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and he says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh. That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So our first comfort, our first magnet on the fridge is God is in control. What allows Paul to write these words is that he knows that God is in control. Now, a quick review. If I was to lay out all of the circumstances that Paul is, has faced. He's been shipwrecked multiple times, arrested multiple times, beaten multiple, multiple times, unjustly arrested, imprisoned for many years. Right now he's in prison, chained to a Roman guard, having to pay for it out of his own pocket. Circumstances that if you looked at would say, there is no way that God is in control. These are, these are way too many negative things to say that God is in control. And, and we can get there. That's not very hard to get to that, that assumption. We can also assume that, well, God is in control, but if you know Paul's story, Paul started before he was converted to follow Jesus, he killed and murdered Christians. He hunted and murdered Christians. That's what Paul, that was what his drive was. He, he says he was zealous for the law and he his drive was to get rid of the Christians. But, Jesus, but God had a different plan for his life. But so you could look at it and say, and say, well, God is in control, but now God, with all these negative things, he is punishing Paul for what he has done. And it doesn't take, it's not very hard to get to that assumption either. But both are untrue. 
Both are untrue because the reality is is that Paul knows with certainty that God is in control of all circumstances. Paul is reminded of everything that God has done in his entire life. Every shipwreck that Paul has experienced, he came out of. Every shipwreck. Every imprisonment he got out of. Every beating he endured, he got healed. Every beating he endured, somebody came alongside and helped him. Every time there was danger that he had a way out or there was a time where he was actually removed from a city because he was going to be arrested. You can read all of his stories in in his writings, in Acts. Paul knows this, but he's also referencing the story of his people that God created heaven and earth. He created this world. It was perfect and then sin entered the world and then something happened but God continually rescued his people through history. He knows all this as he's writing, I am in prison. I am sitting here in chains but I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knows with, 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 with certainty uh, when I first looked at this text and started studying, the first thing I wrote down was, was Paul is confident. And I never left that, that idea. Didn't build on it a whole bunch, but always came back to it. And, and it's not this, like, arrogance. It's not this pride. It's not this, um, I know I'm right, I am right, you are wrong idea. Paul is confident because he has this, this certainty. As, as I stand here on this stage knowing that gravity is going to hold me right here to the ground, I am certain of that. And Paul is as certain that this will work out for his deliverance, that, that no matter what his circumstances, God is in control. He knows with certainty. And he knows that, that his salvation, his deliverance will occur. And the interesting thing about this word is it's present and future tense. So it means right now in these circumstances, God's going to deliver him out of this circumstance. But also in the end when he's with Jesus forever, he's going to be delivered. God is at work in his life and he knows this. So so God, so, so Paul writing to this church can bring comfort and say, hey, these circumstances aren't great, but I know that God is in control. For some of you guys in here, you know Jamie and I's story. Between the the year 2006 and 2008 was the hardest, most difficult time of our lives. In 2006, we lost a a son. Um, He was stillborn at 34 weeks. His name was Jack. Uh, One day he was uh, was moving, and then next day he wasn't moving. went to the hospital, and he was born later that afternoon or evening, stillborn, uh, not, not breathing, no heartbeat. It was, really, it was really hard, really difficult. It was a, it was a loss that, that you can't prepare for. In 2007, uh, I lost my job. And this wasn't just some, some, norm, some everyday job. This was a job that I had for 12 years. This was a job that, that I started as electrical contracting in, in residential homes in the Atlanta market. Well, if you know anything about, if you remember 2007, 2008, the market crashed Houses started sitting, builders weren't building, so we had to downsize. But this was a company that I started where I didn't know how to screw in an outlet to where I was running over 100 employees, 16 crews. Um, I was going to take over the company, and the company had to downsize. Well, I lost my, my job, and then in, 2000, in early 2008, 
I lost my home uh, 2008, lost a home that, that I had built in 2005 to foreclosure because of, of, of a job or not being able to, to have a job that paid enough to, to pay for this house that I built. And uh, this wasn't just an, a house that we bought. This was a house that I built. This is a house that I put blood, sweat, and tears in. This is a house that I designed and shaped. And, and if, you're, if you're putting pieces together, you can see that, that God was, was, was doing something. That God was at work. He was, he, in the midst of it, I was naked. <laughs> Everything that I had put my identity in was stripped away. My family, my career, my, my dreams, all was, was removed. And that was the hardest, most difficult time. I didn't, felt, I, didn't feel, uh, I, I didn't feel like a good husband. I didn't feel like a good father. I didn't feel like a good worker. It was just everything was like, stripped away. But God used that experience in my life to be able to stand here this morning and say that I know with full assurance that God is good. And I know with full assurance that no matter what I experience, He's in control. And I can say that without, without waver, without question, just as Paul can say that to the church in Philippi. Just that he can say that this is going to work out for my deliverance. Sometimes God uses our, our past experiences, our history, to help us in the moments that we're at right now. And sometimes God uses what we're experiencing right now to build and help the church around you and the community that you're involved with. You see that Paul says, for I know that through your prayers, he has invited the church of Philippi to join him in praying for his circumstances in this situation that he finds himself in. He's inviting them in to join him. And Paul, Paul knows that God will work this out. This is the same Paul that wrote in chapter 1, in the beginning of his letter. And I am sure of this, Philippians 1 verse 6, For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning that God has a plan and God has a purpose for everything that he is enduring and everything that you are enduring, even right now, if this is the most difficult, hardest time of your life. You ever stayed at a, at a hotel, and you walked into the hotel room, and you saw the bed, and it's like these big white pillows, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great night's sleep. Next thing you know, you stay at the hotel, you sleep, and it's terrible. The pillows are awful. You've ever experienced that? I don't know what it is. What, I, have, I have a favorite pillow. So when, when Jamie and I travel, when we travel with the family, I take a pillow with me. I wish I could take it flying, but that's just really weird. I, like, I actually look down at people who carry their pillows in the airport, but that's between me and God. Um, but, so I take a pillow with me, and I take that pillow with me because I know, I know that with this pillow, I have a great chance of, of a good sleep. I have, I have a good chance to have, to have peaceful rest that night. The, be, the mattress might be all messed up and jacked up, but, but this pillow might help me, and I have that, that, that chance Knowing that God is in control is like a good pillow. It allows you to lay your head at night, to put your head down on it, and you know that you're going to get a good night's rest. That you know that God has this and I'm okay with it. The, 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 the pillow of God's sovereignty, so to speak. 
And for you and I, some, sometimes, some, some moments, even right now, maybe we just need to let go and try and ask God to get a, get a good night's sleep and trust Him that He's in control. Maybe some of us this morning need to just acknowledge, God, you, you, you are in control, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to try to be in control. I don't need to try to do these things because I know that these circumstances you are using for my good, that you are using to, to, to shape me and to mold me and to bring hope and faith and contentment and peace. All these things that, that we want as followers of Jesus. And sometimes we just need to let go and give up that pillow or give up that that idea of being in control and trust that God is in control. So I hope this morning that that's a comfort to you, that you know that God is in control. But not only is, is God in control, but our second magnet we're going to throw up on the, on the fridge is that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough. We need to believe, we need to understand that, that God is in control, and we need to understand that Jesus is enough. And this is from verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, that's just another magnet. That's just another sticker. That's another coffee mug. We've all seen it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a familiar verse. But what this means, to live is Christ, means that all of life, every bit from beginning to end, is centered on Jesus. Every fiber in our being has been constructed by him for him. Every fiber of our being is His alone. John Stott says it this way, and I, I really like it. He says, he says, Christ is the center. All else is circumference. Now, I would never use that word, but all else is circumference. I like that. Everything else orbits around Jesus. Everything else is, is our periphery. Everything else may be important, but not the most important. Jesus is the center of, the life, of your life. Now think about it, you guys, no, no, I'll take that back. All of us, if we follow Jesus, our name is Christian, which means little Christ. And when it first came to, and it first appeared in the Bible, it was a derogatory term. Oh, you're the follower of Christ, little Christ. And now it's our identity, it's our calling card, it's our, it's our ID that says, I follow Jesus, I am a Christian, but yet we have just become soft to that. We become, become soft because one reason or another, we're a Christian, but we can live this way, we can live for this, and, and our life is centered on something else. I'm going to bring a little science into this discussion. Earth orbits the sun. I know. Earth orbits the sun. So I did a little Googling, and I wanted to see what would happen if the sun disappeared. Now, there's, there's some obvious things. You know, it'll get dark. We'll no longer have light. It'll actually take eight minutes for darkness to start setting, and it'll, it'll settle like, like, the, like the night, but then we won't get uh, morning. It'll just be dark forever. Uh, that's the time it takes for the light to come from the sun to the earth, eight minutes. Um, there'll be no photosynthesis, which means that all vegetation will die, or most vegetation will die. Um, that's not good. We can fabricate some photosynthesis with some lighting and stuff, but reality, most vegetation will die. There'll be no more gravitational pull to the sun. So, so Earth, 
orbit will, will no longer uh, occur. But that also means that all the other planets in our solar system, they'll, they'll, their orbit will, will no longer occur. So what could happen possibly is that, is that wherever the, the, the planets are, as they're orbiting the sun, once the sun disappears, it just continues down that path. So it won't continue in an orbit, it'll just continue down in that direction. So what could happen is planets could start colliding into each other. But here's, the, here's an interesting thing that I didn't know, is that if by chance Earth or any other planet makes it through the, the bumper cars, so to speak, and makes it out of that, that it could actually be grabbed by another planet's gravita gravitational pull. So Earth, if it survived, could start orbiting Jupiter. Now it'd still be dark, there would be no heat, there'd no photosynthesis, it'd be cold. But we could start orbiting around Jupiter instead of the sun. I didn't, I didn't really know that. I didn't think of it. I really didn't think very hard. I just counted on Google, but it came through. And it got me thinking. I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that some of us, our lives, are like Earth without a sun. And we're, we're wandering in any direction, and then we're, got, we're pulled into another planet's gravitational pull. And we, we, we may not even know what that is, or it may be just something temporary that, that has us, and that is what we live for. But whatever that is, whatever that is that we're centering our life on, whatever that is that we are trying to live for, we're not going to find peace Contentment, assurance, confidence, faith, joy, these things that, that Paul is able to communicate. We wouldn't be able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain because all of that is, is, is fleeting. Because whatever it is, whatever you may be centering your life on, whether it's career or family or, or a sports team or uh, education or science or whatever it is or self, whatever that is it's not going to sustain, it's not going to last. Then we become this wandering planet where, where when that one's gone, that one's done it moves on to the next and kind of wanders and then all of a sudden it gets pulled into something else. Maybe it's some, some political thing or some social justice thing and then, and then it wanders again Maybe you've experienced that and you can see that in your life. Chris, that, I, that makes lots of sense. But in it all, there's no peace and no contentment. We're just wandering. See, to the earth, the sun is life. The sun brings life. And likewise, to the Christian, Jesus is life. To the Christian, Jesus is life, not not, not just part of, or not just the morning of, or not just this time of, but Jesus is life. To the Christian, Jesus is everything, and as, as John Stott said, everything else is, is circumference. Everything else is periphery, though it may be good and important. The beauty of having Christ at the center, everything else gets affected by that. If the sun is the center and the orbit of the earth, everything on earth gets affected by that. 
only a life centered on Christ, orbiting Christ, only a life centered on Christ can stay in the midst of difficulty. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. For me to be here chained to this guard is Christ. And to die is gain. For you to say, to live is Christ. To be in the midst of this loss is Christ. And that's okay. And to die is gain. Only a life centered on Jesus can say such a, an amazing statement. And only a life centered on, on Christ can, can stand and not be ashamed to, to say crazy things or do strange things. Like Paul chained to this guy with a, I think Brad said it, maybe an 18-inch chain goes everywhere with him. And Paul's like, to live as Christ, to die is gain. And the guard's like, what? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But there's no, there's no shame. Only a life centered on, on Christ can have the confidence that Paul has here to know that God is in control and that Jesus is enough. And only a life centered on Christ can live within that tension of, 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 of what Paul describes as to live as Christ and to die as gain. For me to be with you is good for you, but for me to die, I really want to because I'll be with Jesus, but I'm okay with either one, and I'm here and I'm there. and I'm, It's okay. Because to live as Christ and to die is gain. And only a life centered on Jesus is okay with being okay. Is okay with being okay. To not having to have all the answers. To not having to have all the right things and, and, and do the right things because the gospel tells us that we're not okay. But He is. And He's more than okay. The gospel tells us that we have, can do nothing to earn his love, that it's a gift as we saw on the video. It is a free gift. Salvation is a gift. It's not earned. And this salvation that Paul sees or that Paul knows is going to happen, this confidence that he has, he's okay with whatever happens because he's okay with not being okay. And he's got this confidence in Jesus, not in a, in a temporal happiness. But if you're okay with not being okay, you're certain of a few things. You're, you're certain of your identity, right? You know how God sees you. You know who you are in Christ. You know what the gospel tells you you are. And you also understand the gospel. And, the only, and only a life-centered centered life, only a life centered on Jesus invites others into the brokenness as we saw. Invites community into that struggle. Invites community into the difficulty. And says, you know what? I need help. I need your prayers. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. And I can say with assurance, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But none of this happens without Jesus. None of this happens None, no confidence happens, no unashamed decisions and actions, no being okay with not being okay. None of this happens without Jesus, without 
your life being centered on Jesus? Is, is your life, is he the center of your life? Is, is Jesus the center? Does your life orbit Jesus? Or is it, is it orbiting something else right now? What does your life orbit? And finally, our third, the third comfort, the third magnet on the fridge this morning is, is joy is possible. His joy is possible. So not only is God in control, not only is Jesus is enough, but our third comfort, our third magnet on the fridge is that joy is possible. And this is found at the, begin, at the end of verse 18, which isn't part of our section, but I want to I hit it in verse 25. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. And then skip down to 25. Convinced of this. Convinced that it's better for me to be with you, Paul is saying. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. I grew up in church. And so when I read the word rejoice, I just kind of glance over it. Yeah, yeah, I know what that means. I actually had to look it up. Like, what's the definition of rejoice? And the definition is to show great joy or delight. And I'll be honest, I don't rejoice a lot. Not because I'm not a happy person or I don't put a smile on, but, but when, when I'm singing a, a song, a worship song, like, there's not a lot of rejoice in me. There's just a lot of, of, of thankfulness and gratefulness and, and, and peace and calming, and, but not a lot of great joy or delight coming out of me. And for you and, and, and me, I, I wonder how many of us can look at our circumstances and rejoice in those said circumstances. How many of us can, can look at the situation that Paul has been in and is in and say, man, he, he's got to rejoice because the Lord is busy. It doesn't work, right? But he does. And how does he do it? He does it because he understands these first two comforts this morning, these first two magnets. God is in control, that he is at work, and that Jesus is enough. He understands these. He has, he has seen God's hand work. He's rescued him through over and over and over. He has seen God used the power of his words to bring people to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has seen God do things. He has seen people healed. He has seen God rescue him over and over. He has seen prisons let loose. Prisoners let loose by no power except by the Spirit. He has seen things and he has seen God work in such ways that he can rejoice in the circumstances he is in. He can show great joy or delight because following Jesus and having a life centered on Jesus, that's what comes of that life. That's, that's a fruit of these two roots, so to speak. God being in control and Jesus is enough. But true joy is only possible understanding those two things. You can't fabricate it. You can't manufacture it. You can't, uh, you can't find it here on earth. We can find things that make us happy for a moment. 
And, and, and that's what we do. Is we, we, we try to find things that make us happy. We try to find, make decisions that we think are going to make us happy. Like, if I could get that job, or if I could drive that car, or wear those clothes, or, or, or whatever it is, right? We, we, we put that out there, and we think that that's going to bring joy, and that's all temporary. There is nowhere in this scripture that says that if we do that, then we'll have joy. Paul is rejoicing from prison and saying that him being delivered out of prison and being with the church of Philippi will build their joy, will grow their joy and their faith. Knowing the circumstances that he is in, inviting them into it, their joy will increase. That's the only way it's possible. That's the only way that, that true joy is possible, but we look elsewhere. We don't believe that God is in control. We believe that, 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 that God doesn't know what he's doing, therefore I must step in and I must be in control and I'm going to make the decisions for my life and I'm going to move my family here and I'm going to live in this house and I'm going to go to school here and I'm going to fill in the blank. I'm going to do this job and I'm going to... Or, the other side is, we let God be in control, knowing that He is God and He knows what's best and has what's best, because really what's best for Him is Jesus, and Jesus is enough. That's what's best for us. Jesus is enough. Jesus is life. And missing those two, we can't have joy, and joy is not possible. I don't walk around judging your joy. And I know nobody who does that. You have to judge, measure, examine yourself and say, where's my joy? Where, where, where do I find my joy? Do I have joy in all circumstances? Because, because I can give you some ideas of why we, we, we don't have joy, but the reality is, is that this morning... You may just have to examine yourself and ask Jesus, why don't I have joy? Some of us this morning need to repent. Need to, need to, need to blatantly, unadulteratedly repent this morning of, of being in control and thinking that we're actually in control and that we are God. Some of us need to repent that we believe or think that Jesus is enough, or that Jesus isn't enough, but, but he is kind of enough, so, so it's Jesus plus this. Jesus plus six-figure salary. Jesus plus this much money in my account. Jesus plus this much, uh, this big of a house. Jesus plus my uh, easy circumstances that aren't very difficult. Jesus plus something. Jesus plus I just need to try harder and do better. Some of us need to repent because Jesus is enough. And Paul understood that when he, when he writes these words to the church in Philippi. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This means that at any moment, in any circumstance, no matter high or low, joy is possible. We have a hard time believing that. We have a hard time believing that joy is possible in any circumstance. 
We, we sometimes think, and, and I'm speaking to myself, that life is like a football game. It's got its highs, it's got its lows, the, the score changes back and forth, but when we get to the end, there's a winner and a loser, and hopefully we're on the winning side. And we're, you know, we're sad, we're, you know, we, we don't eat all the chips or whatever, we throw our stuff in the, in the sink and we just go to bed and we're kind of upset, and then we just start over. But that's not life. That's not how life is. What God has for us is far greater than a, than a, a life like a football game. It's far greater than any, anything that we can create in our minds. What God has for us is a life that is, that is full of confidence in, in the gospel. A life that is full of confidence knowing that God is in control. A life that is, that is, that is full of, of peace, calm, contentment, assurance that no matter what the circumstances, God is going to do something good in my life through this. That's, that's, that's anti-world. That's, that's different than what the world tells us. That's different than what we hear everywhere else. But guys, it's only possible through Jesus. It's only possible through Jesus. And so this morning, I want to I just ask, do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? And do you believe that joy is possible? Let me pray. Let me pray. We'll close this out in a word of prayer. I want to pray over you guys. I want you guys to Ask those questions to yourself. Let the Spirit speak. And then I'll give some direction on, on uh, our, the Lord's Supper. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that your word would, would, would take root in, in all of our lives. That we would not forget that you're in control no matter our circumstances, that we can be imprisoned or we can be on vacation at some beach somewhere, that you are in control and that you are still good in the midst of, of all circumstances. God, that, that your word would take root and we will not forget that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, meaning my life is centered on Jesus and that joy is possible through knowing, believing, and understanding those two truths. Help us to believe this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to move into uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, at the end of your aisles, there's a little white basket with little uh, cups of, of juice and, and a wafer. Um, this, this time is a, is a time to celebrate what Christ has done. It's a time to acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross that Jesus, that our sins have been forgiven, and it's a time to, to acknowledge those together in community. So we're going to break up into, into missional community uh, groups, so there should be five groups. If you're not part of an MC, feel free to, to join a group. But somewhere in your group, have somebody proclaim the gospel. Have somebody proclaim the good news that, that we can't do anything to earn God's love, but He loves us anyway. And then take the Lord's Supper, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing one last song, and then there'll be some announcements at the end.
All right. Before we go to baptism, if you haven't already, if you grab your little ones. I see we already have all of them, so we're good. All right. Way to go, guys. All right. Brad, are you doing the benediction? I think he's outside. I'll do the benediction real quick. Number 622 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, if you'll put your hands out, saying, speaking to Aaron and his sons, saying this, you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So, so shall you, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and will bless them. All right, let's make our way out for baptism. <laughs>